You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The parliamentary delegation currently in China has finally directly called for the release of two detained Canadians. But according to a report from the CBC, it did not come until Chinese officials in the meeting demanded to know why Canada was holding Meng Wanzhou, chief financial officer of Huawei Technologies, on an extradition request from the U.S. Now, according to reports, the group from the China-Canada Legislative Association called for the immediate release of our citizens Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. The two were arrested December 10th after Meng Wanzhou the CFO was detained in Vancouver at the behest of the Americans. Now, the Chinese apparently believe politics was behind this arrest. The group apparently assured them that this was not the case. So the question is, are we taking a hard enough line with the Chinese or are we treading too softly with them? And what about our allies? The Australians and the British have condemned the detention of our citizens in China, but the Americans, not so much. And we are in this situation because we are helping them out with their request. Want to hear from you, as always, the numbers to call. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, we are going to Hugh Stevens, who is a distinguished fellow with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, and Christian Loiprecht, who is a senior fellow with uh, the Monk Institute, the Monk School for Global Affairs. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. My Hello. pleasure. Good afternoon. Yeah, pleasure. Okay, let's start with Hugh. Uh, what is your take on this? Is this delegation from our parliament uh, doing the right thing? Well, I think uh, there was some debate as to whether, in fact, they should go. I'm glad they did go. I think we need to take every opportunity that we can to deliver the message. Uh, it appears that they have done so. I mean, we weren't in the actual meeting, so who knows exactly how it uh, how it uh, uh, developed in, in terms of that conversation. But uh, whether it was raised uh, in the context of responding to the Chinese uh, uh, allegations about Meng Wanzhou's treatment or whether... It was raised under, uh, in their opening remarks, I don't know, but the fact is that uh, they raised it, and I think every other Canadian high-level delegation going to China has to continue to raise that until the situation is resolved. Uh, Christian, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, it's a delegation, right? So we need to make sure that people are on the same page, and uh, we have members from both sides of uh, Senate and Parliament, and uh, as well as parties represented here, and so we also need to find some common ground and make sure that this doesn't become a divisive issue uh, between either the two chambers or the political parties in power. Uh, at the same time, uh, we know that with regimes such as China, uh, that uh, don't adhere to the sort of basic democratic norms and values that we take for granted. In Canada, high-level exchanges and uh, discussions at elite levels um, are usually the most expeditious way of resolving uh, uh, challenges involving our own 
citizens, or at least to dislodge uh, the impasse in the current process and to ensure that the Canadians that are detained have at least the basic access that we would expect under international law in terms of consular affairs and um, should their cases, for whatever reason, end up in, on trial, that we do what we can uh, to make sure that those trials are uh, transparent and accountable, uh, which is not usually the case in a system such as China's that does not afford due process and does not have an independent judiciary as we take it for granted in Canada. Hugh, uh the Chinese seem to think that there was politics involved here. Is this just a matter that they don't understand international law, don't respect it? What, what is behind this? Well, I'm sure there are sophisticated people in the Chinese uh, apparatus that understand how the rule of law works in, uh, in Western countries and in Canada. But I think in this particular instance, they've chosen uh, not to uh, not to accept that. Uh, they look. They presumably the decision makers look at this in, in, in the broader picture in terms of the U.S.-China trade war, the issues that uh, are being discussed there, the uh, the U.S. pressure on on China, response to cyber hacking, all kinds of things. And in the middle of this, and of course Huawei is very much uh, in the center of this debate. And in the middle of this, uh, Miss Mong gets arrested in Vancouver. So. So, um, you know, you could, they, they, I think it's difficult for them, frankly, to accept the fact that this is just a, a quote-unquote routine uh, execution, that the wheels of justice are moving, and it just kind of happened that uh, she was arrested at this particular point, which very coincidentally was exactly when uh, Donald Trump was meeting with Xi Jinping in, in, in Buenos Aires. So they are looking at it from that perspective, and I suppose if you look at it through their glasses, it is probably understandable how they would see a political connection here. But in fact, of course, uh, I, I, I firmly believe that Canada was executing its obligations under the extradition treaty and basically had no choice but to follow through. And what about this situation where the Americans haven't exactly uh, sprung to our defense? I think it's shameful. I think it's disgraceful. Uh, I mean, if this was a U.S. citizen that had been incarcerated in China, you can imagine what the response would have been from Washington. And we got a very limp-wristed comment from Mike Pompeo that, uh, you know, the U.S. stands for uh, uh, stands up against uh, inappropriate incarceration anywhere in the world. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Canada took a bullet for the U.S. on this, and the U.S. has not done what we would expect. Now, maybe there are some some back channels and some quiet conversations going on. I certainly hope so, but we've seen very little evidence of it. In fact, we've seen unhelpful comments coming from the White House. Well, we see a lot of those. Christian, uh, what is your view of the American non-response on this, and is there something we should do about it? I think it awakens all Canadians to the fact that the world order we've known for the last 75 years is coming to an end and that we cannot rely on the Americans um, to help in our bidding or do our collective bidding or even see eye to eye on issues of international affairs in the way that we have in the past. It also reinforces the fact that countries such as China are quite adept at exploiting asymmetric relationships, knowing that Canada, of course, is uh, um, is, is at best a medium-sized power and cannot exert the sort of retaliation that the U.S. could exert. And so 
um, that um, the Americans not stepping up means it reinforces the Chinese ability to try to exert pressure on Canada. And so that's really the unfortunate part about not being able to count on our American allies in this particular case. But it is not just in this foreign policy issue, but on many foreign policy fronts where we as Canadians are going to have to come to grips with this new reality. And we will actually have to uh, step up and make sure that we are able to be prepared rather than simply relying on our U.S. ally to essentially try to outsource some of our bidding and having them do it for us. Uh, What about the fact that came out last week that, well, actually, it's not just two, but as many as 13 people of our people have been detained in China, though eight have since been released? And and how come we're just hearing about it last week, Hugh? Well, I, I actually don't think it's that surprising that 13 Canadians are incarcerated uh, in, or involved in one form or another with the Chinese apparatus. I mean, at any given time, there are thousands, tens of thousands of, the, of Canadians who travel around the world. There are large numbers that uh, travel to and work in China and in other countries. And, you know, we don't hear about uh, the problems that they get into, everything from uh, overstaying a visa to maybe a commercial dispute, etc. So... Maybe 13 is a little higher than, than average. There could be some overzealous local officials that kind of think it's time for open season on Canadians. But, uh, I mean, it's not, this wouldn't even come to anybody's attention were it not for the cases of Mr. Spev or Mr. Kovrig. So, um, I don't think that's that unusual. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't some Chinese citizens in custody in Canada for one reason or another. We don't hear about that. I mean, a lot of stuff goes on in the world and, uh, we just have to be turning a spotlight on it because because of the inappropriate uh, incarceration of two Canadians under the national security laws. That's what's, that's what's really of concern. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I've tried to make the point on the show that a lot of people who travel kind of assume that the same kind of rule of law applies in places where it actually doesn't, and you can get into really big trouble for something that seems very minor, like overstaying a visa by a bit. Yes, exactly. Or taking a silly uh, Instagram shot uh, in an inappropriate place or whatever, you know. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, would you say, Christian, that at this point uh, it's quite dangerous to be in China, depending on, on what you're doing right now? Well, I think this is what the delegation should really be and probably is reinforcing with the Chinese, because we often get complaints from countries such as Russia and China about all these wonderful investment opportunities in their countries. And why isn't there more Canadians that are coming to Russia and China and investing in their economy? And so what the delegation will be uh, reinforcing, I would hope, is the fact that these types of arbitrary application of law and the peculiarity of Chinese law, where much of Chinese law leaves substantial gray space quite intentionally for the authorities to interpret the law as they choose, uh, precisely so that they can then use the law as leverage in a way that would not be done in Canada, Um, that uh, this type of behavior is unhelpful um, if you're finding yourself in the sort of economic slowdown, for instance, that China is finding itself in today. And so for the broader 
uh, payoff of the Chinese society and Chinese economy, especially since the Chinese executives loves to stress the fact of Chinese development and, and the current executive is all about developing Chinese society, that this will not be helpful in terms of the path of development and attracting foreign investment because it means that more individuals, um, both tourists and business, are going to think twice about doing business in a country where they might find themselves detained on what at least in the West we would consider a rather arbitrary or rather, uh, shall we say, instrumental application for political purposes of Chinese law. What about other things? I've heard people suggest, for instance, there are a lot of Chinese students in Canada. Maybe we should make it harder for them to study here. A lot of Chinese tourists in Canada. Hugh, should we be tightening anything up? Like, Should we be escalating this thing up with, with measures like that? I can't think of a good reason to do that. Uh, I mean, frankly, why would we shoot ourselves in the foot? Uh, the fact that Chinese students uh, come to Canada is a positive from a number of perspectives. First of all, exposing them to Canadian values and Canadian ways of, uh, of conducting themselves, quite apart from the economic benefits and so forth. Uh, and the same with tourism. So, I mean... This is a serious issue with these two uh, detained Canadians, but we do also have to take a longer and a broader view of the bilateral relationship. I think we have to be careful not to do things that would be against our own interests. We need to send a strong signal to the Chinese that this is not business as usual, and I think uh, Christian made a very good point about investment. I mean, what kind of a signal does it send to the world when China can arbitrarily hold people hostage? And that's basically what they're doing when there's, uh, when there's something that happens that uh, they choose not to like. They, uh, if it's happening to Canada, and it's happened to others in the past, by the way, uh, oh, yeah. other, other nationals, uh, and it's, it's, it's precisely the wrong sort of signal to send if you are trying to convince people that you know, China is opening up and uh, China welcomes investment and, 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 and so forth. Okay, uh, Christian and Hugh, please hang on. We have to take a break. I'm going to give the numbers out before we go to break. Now, uh, just a few days ago, Free for All Friday, a lot of our callers were saying, why did we step into this? We should not have arrested uh, Ms. Meng, uh, and uh, we just shouldn't be doing that on behalf of the Americans. It it is a factor of international law, but uh, people, I'd like to hear from you. Have you changed your mind after what you've been hearing here today? Today, uh, do you agree with what our guests are saying? The numbers to call 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 744 740, and we'll be right back. Fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about the case of the two Canadians detained in China. There is now a parliamentary delegation there, and even though they said they would tread lightly, they have actually talked about this and made it clear that we find this unacceptable. Uh, And we're talking with two experts about whether uh, this is the right response. Should it be harder? Should it be softer? And I'm going to get to the phones right now. We've got Jerry in Toronto. Hi, Jerry. Okay. Um, While we try to fix that, I'm going to go back to our experts. Uh, Okay, Hugh, um, what do you think the future holds for uh, these two people? Well, I, I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I think they're 
not going to be not going to be uh, seeing the, the fresh air, breathing the fresh air of, uh, of being outside where, wherever their situation is for a while. I mean, we looking ahead at uh, at the uh, bung process, and you know, allegedly, according to the Chinese, there's no uh, there's no connection. Of course, there is. I mean, if there's a solution, it may lie in what happens to Meng Wanzhou. And of course, we have a legal process here that I understand the next date is the sixth of February, when the U.S. has to pursue its extradition request and, and fully present the evidence. So we'll see what happens there. And I guess we could maybe see the Chinese trying to ramp up pressure prior to that. They don't seem to be getting the message that this is going to be going according to the rule of law. We'll have to see what the U.S. evidence is, or if indeed the U.S. follows through on their request. I expect that the Department of Justice will want to do so, but, you know, given Mr. Trump's uh, uh, uncalibrated remarks, one never knows. Okay. Uh, Christian, uh, do you share that pessimistic view? Well, we know, for instance, that extraditions from uh, Canada back to China of individuals that China wanted to have back uh, have taken up to 13 years. And so I'm afraid that both the Meng Wanzhou process, uh, as well as possibly the situation of uh, the two Canadians in China, could be a lengthy issue uh, and a drag on uh, for any number of procedural and other reasons. And so uh, it is certainly, I think, in Canada's interest to demonstrate that its judiciary can function effectively and expeditiously and impartially, um, as we as Canadians all know, but as perhaps is not uh, the perception in China, to make the case that um, our Canadians should be treated with the same courtesy and respect uh, by the Chinese judicial system based on whatever uh, evidence and laws uh, on which they are detained. And we've seen that when we have had delegations such as the current one travel, uh, one of the greatest effects that they can have is precisely to speed up these types of cases rather than having people languish uh, in prisons for months or years before their case is even heard or before the evidence against them is actually revealed. Okay, I think we can get to the phones now. Okay, we are still having problems. Callers, uh, if you want to hang on, we are going to try to fix them. Okay, so if we're facing a long detention for these two individuals, uh, what would you recommend, Hugh? Well, I think we need to continue to, to raise their, their situation on every possible suitable occasion. Uh, it has to be uh, kind of the first talking point when we're discussing things with the Chinese. Um, you asked me earlier whether we should be taking retaliatory action. I think, you know, we have to be realistic as to what kind of damage we can inflict and whether we'd be inflicting it more on ourselves. Um, we need to continue to press uh, for the process to, in China, uh, opaque as it is, to, uh, to, to follow through. I mean, we hear that uh, perhaps the Chinese are trying to find evidence uh, you know, by going through the social media accounts of Michael Spavor and so forth. I mean, the trouble is the national security law is so vague that practically anything could be uh, considered to be a national security violation. And you take a picture of a bridge from the wrong angle, they could decide that's a national security violation. But at least we need to have that evidence brought forward. Unfortunately, they have several months under the current Chinese rules to do this. So I think we just have to keep, keep pressing it, make sure these people remain
maintain front of mind, uh, keep, keep reminding the Chinese government that we haven't forgotten them, and use every possible opportunity to advocate for them. We also need to make sure that we're not naive, however, about some of the comments that we make. The remarks that you made with regards to Chinese students, if we look at the Chinese protesters that showed up uh, after the Meng Wanzhou detention, it is very clear that at least some of these protesters were directed by the Chinese government, both in the way that they displayed their signs and in the remarks that they made. And of course, Canadians do not have the same opportunities in China to stand up for the interests of Canadians within China. And so we have to make sure that China does not actively attempt to manipulate public discourse or that we allow demonstrations of individuals uh, that are clearly being steered, at least in part, by foreign entities or foreign intelligence services. And that is something about which in Canada we have great naivety uh, about the broader influence of, uh, of Chinese government and Chinese agents within Canadian society, something that is quite prominent and a issue of public debate in Australia, which is why Australia is looking to uh, significantly strengthen its own national security legislation, and it's probably something that Canada, in the context of, again, the asymmetric situation of public discourse here, also needs to think about. Okay, yeah. how, we're how going to... to do that, Christian? I mean, how would you determine which protesters are acceptable and which ones aren't? Uh, well, there is ample evidence from Australia to the effect to which the uh, Chinese interests can generate significantly large demonstrations within a matter of hours of the Australian government making decisions that China feels are not in its uh, favor. And China, and the current uh, design of Australian legislation, strength of Australian legislation, is designed to be able to identify these types of activities and to make people subject for expulsion from Australia should they engage in a activities that can be demonstrated to have been directed by foreign entities. And so I think it is important that anybody who comes to Canada as a foreign student does not be in, is not instrumentalized uh, by their foreign government for their political purposes. And if they are so, uh, so instrumentalized, that they understand that they may be uh, subject to expulsion from this country on those grounds. Okay. Um, maybe we're third time lucky. We're going to try once more to bring in our callers. Let's go to Jerry online two. Jerry, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Okay, awesome. Uh, I just want to offer some insight. Uh, Let's go back in time to, I believe, there was a point when Canada never traded with uh, communist countries. And uh, the corporation somehow, I don't know how it happened, but now we're we're the best buddies with China. I believe we should stop all trade with communist countries. And that's just the way it is. I mean... uh, it doesn't make sense to me. And you tell me, I guarantee you, China is still dealing with Iran, and they're still selling oil to Korea. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. That's just insight. I mean, that's all I have to say, really. Okay, Jerry, Stop thanks for that. China. That's it. Thank you. Uh, okay, thanks, Jerry. Uh, let's uh, go to Mary on line three. Hi, good day, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. You're very welcome. Uh, Olivia, this is sad for me. It's regrettable. We here in Canada, the United Kingdom, parts of Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and some parts of the Caribbean constitute the civilized world. It has been blaringly evident that the mighty U.S. of hate has been tongue-tied ever since this story broke. 
our citizens are being held and treated like animals, not surprisingly so, because we are in the palms of the Chinese hands. And we are being used as pawns. And the Chinese know this. We need them. We need cheap labor for economic gains. Okay, Mary, thank you very much for that. Okay, we are going to have to uh, wrap this segment up. What would you like to leave us with, Christian? I think we need to be um, certain as Canadians that of the risks in which we engage when we um, uh, unfortunately even engage in humanitarian enterprises in countries where um, uh, that do not apply the same norms, values, and rules and uh, apply them consistently the way we do. And I think both those individuals were aware of the risks. Um, and so Canada needs to do what it can to make sure they are treated fairly and equitably and returned to Canada. But at the same time, I suspect that uh, Canada's leverage here is limited, and that is the broader, I think, um, lesson for uh, Canadians that, uh, that travel and do business and live abroad in countries that are uh, unlike our own. Okay. And Hugh? Well, this is not going to go away quickly. This is going to be a a long-term irritant. Uh, On the other hand, uh, one of your callers suggested we should just not trade with China. Frankly, not trading with the world's second largest, probably soon to be the world's largest economy, is just not a realistic option for Canada. We have to. We have to engage. Um, But this is, uh, unfortunately, we got caught in the middle of this one, and we're just going to have to work it through and continue to keep our eye on the ball in terms of protecting the interests of these specific Canadians. But also bear in mind the longer-term need for uh, to set the rules of engagement between Canada and China. Okay. Thank you to you both, and uh, I'm sure we will be revisiting this very important ongoing story in the not-too-distant future. Thank you to Christian Leprecht and Hugh Stevens. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 